Hello everyone, welcome back to the Bot Talk. In today's episode, we have Burger Cakes on the show. A lot of you guys have tagged in when I've asked for guests to come on the show. So here is, we have a bunch of questions to jump into, a bunch of interesting topics. So let's jump straight into it. The first question I want to begin this episode with, how did you discover the reselling scene? Alright, well I discovered, you know, the reselling scene back in high school, which was my senior year, which was in 2017. I had a couple of friends who would like wear like hype shoes and like designer clothes and stuff like that but not many people did in the area that i lived in because it's like a smaller like town area but um i started basically my senior year i was like getting into like foam posits and a couple of like lebrons and stuff like that so when i graduated i i got my first job and stuff like that and was able to like start making money and the first like thing i ever did like resell wise was I hit on the Jordan 1 bread toe, like, full locker reservation. And uh, that was, like, the first, like, actual hype shoe I ever had. And all my friends would go to, like, one of our local consignment shops and, like, buy and sell stuff. And they were like, oh, you should go there and, like, sell them. Like, sell your shoes, you'll probably make some money on them. So I took them there and I sold them, which I had a size 13 at the time. I sold for 260 I think. So I made basically, like, $100 profit. And that was basically, like, the first time I ever, like, resold anything. And I guess it just started from there. I started like hitting more reservations for this one shoe at Full Locker. And then eventually I got into other stuff and then finally discovered the whole like reselling scene and sneaker Twitter, I guess we could call it. Yeah, definitely. I feel like the road between reselling your first couple of sneakers and getting to buy into it or sneaker to it, whatever you want to call it, it's kind of like a faded road. Like if I were to look back on it, I don't really know the road I really took. It kind of just kind of blends in together when you look back on it. But one aspect I do want to pick into, obviously you went to that like, consignment shops with your friends, obviously your friends started to tag along, so you tagged along, you flipped it, you made $100, $120. Uh, what aspect of, obviously there was an aspect of making money, but what aspect of flipping shoes was something that you liked and was something that you wanted to continue? Well, like I said, like all my, well not all my friends, but a couple of my friends were into like Jordans and stuff like that. And it was always cool. Like, my friend had, like, an OG pair of Bread 11s. The other one had, like, OG Shadow ones and stuff like that. So they had, like, pipe shoes that were cool, and people would always, like, comment on them and stuff like that. So I guess, like, when I finally got, like, into shoes and got in, like, I guess, getting those bread toes and stuff like that, it made me realize, like, oh, like, you could you can make some money doing this stuff. And it was kind of fun, too, because I was able to pick up stuff that was personals that I could keep if I wanted to. And if I didn't, I could just sell them and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot more fun than just regular employment. Obviously, if you go to a job, you clock in, you do your hours, you clock out. But with this, it's a whole experience. You know, there's a bunch of variables. It could go different ways. It does vary in the amount of money you make. And one thing it always does come back to, the amount of effort you put in is how much money you're going to kind of get out at the end of the day. But one thing I did also want to ask you, obviously, when you started in the reselling scene, you mentioned that you used the Foot Locker Reservation app to go ahead and pick up these shoes. How was the jump like going from being a manual user, going to these stores and picking up these shoes and flipping them to then investing in your first bot? Uh, it was kind of like crazy. Like I'd always seen stuff of people botting. Like I was in um, a couple sneaker groups on Facebook. One of them was um, Scoop208, I, th- I believe. And uh, he had, there's people in there and like they would sell bots and talk about bots and reselling and stuff like that. And I, I wanted to get into it because like I was like, I want to try this. I want to see like people, because I would see people posting pictures of like all these shoes they're getting. Like, how are people doing this? Like, I want to try and do this. 
And I finally found someone who was like selling an A and B copy and they sold to me for like 80 bucks. And that's how I basically got into like the whole botting scene. But it, it is kind of, it's a weird like transition to go from like a manual user to botting. Cause there's a lot in botting. Like, you know, you have to learn everything, proxy server, stuff like that. When you're manual, you just go on your phone and if you hit, you hit, if you don't, then you don't really care. But like for us, we put so much time and money into botting that like when we don't hit, it's bad we're actually like losing money compared to like a manual user or someone who's doing like just footlock reservations and stuff like that you really don't have anything invested except like just your time to go and pick up the shoes or the five minutes it takes for you to fill out the, the little online reservation yeah i mean i totally agree with you that obviously we're buying their servers there's proxies there's gmos there's a bunch of capital that you have to invest in and you're not necessarily guaranteed to get anything out you know if you become fluent with it and successful with it then you are going to kind of guarantee yourself certain success but when it comes to manual like you said it's literally just your time being invested into it so it is, it is an interesting transition i feel like most people don't understand when they transition from being a manual user to a butter how much capital you really need to put in before you go ahead and jump into this huge community but when you did start botting on a and b because obviously that was your first bot was there any elements of botting that surprised you did you find anything difficult how was that all like well like when i first got into it like i obviously didn't really understand proxies and really understand stuff like that but luckily like the kid i bought it from was like super helpful like he he literally we were still friends to this day and i bought the copy back in late 2018 that was when i started botting he helped me like prepare for all like the upcoming like adidas easy drops we had the uh the wave runner restock at the time and he was like helping me prepare for stuff like that it was it was all like sort of weird at first if if he didn't help me i probably wouldn't have been able to do it because i would have had no idea what to do and i would have just gotten like really frustrated but um yeah he helped me with like what proxies i should buy who i should buy them from where to buy them from like he was he was just basically like my one-on-one -on -one like person to help me bot like he was my guide man basically until i got into like groups and stuff and learned it more yeah definitely when i started i did have someone i did regularly go back to and i was asking like this was back in 2018 so these were some like really washed questions i was speaking about like yo when is go sneakers gonna come back and stop like i was asking some really stupid questions but definitely i mean if there's that one person you can go to and keeping in mind guys the people at home watching but the botting scene on youtube was like non-existent practically like there wasn't many people around like when i first started i started a youtube channel straight away so i was obviously looking at keywords looking at how i can get my title my videos to the top of uh, title searches there was like no botting videos there's a few there's like obviously uh when people did live streams and stuff like that but there wasn't as much content as it is now so you couldn't search up like adept tutorial and a tutorial would pop up it wasn't that easy it was literally just like the rare live cops and um people actually copying it from the bot website there wasn't much documentation or videos on how to use these bots so obviously having someone there to go in and help you was definitely beneficial in your opinion one thing that obviously i didn't want to jump into in your opinion is it easier to start botting now compared to when you started or do you think it's more difficult um well in in terms of like looking at like now i feel like there's more bots available like you have nsb which is obviously all like available all the time you have a and b which is still available 
but most of like the the good bots are super super expensive so you have to invest a lot to start right now plus with like all the like changes to shopify sites foot sites and stuff like that they're doing as much as they can now to stop bots like compared to when i started in 2018 like it was basically you had a bot you bought proxies and you ran and most of the time you would hit like there was there was a stretch for when i was using a and b that i didn't miss like a single adidas drop for a very long time like i hit every single one it was just because like not many people were botting at the time so i feel like it was easier to get into it back then just like you didn't have the whole complications of bot protection and stuff like this so if a, like a company was able to figure out something it would work for a long time and you'd be set nowadays like everything's changing and they have to adapt literally every day to changes and it's just harder for people to hit plus there's a lot more users now back in like 2018 2017 and before then there was hardly any people who who were botting so it made like getting shoes and actually like botting in general easier because you had less competition yeah definitely i can agree with that i mean Back in 2018, uh, all these changes were happening, but just way less frequent. You see a lot of bots now flop a lot more frequently just because of the fact that these sites are actively combating uh, bot users. There's a lot more bot users. People join the botting community every single day. You have people coming in with loads of capital and just spending money on bots. You have people that re really don't have much money. So then uh, businesses like NSB and AMB that cater towards people that want all in stock bots is definitely where they end up going and one thing i did want to kind of pick your brain about what's your general opinion if you do have one on the current pricing of bots because the aftermarket at the moment is pretty high and i'd say back in 2018 it wasn't anywhere near how it's like right now uh yeah well especially right now i think a lot of it has to do with uh the current pandemic we're in because everyone's like been inside lately but personally, I think most bot prices are inflated. There are a couple which I believe, like, you know, should still be high. Like, Cyber should be up there. Kodai should be up there. Prism has done very well on foot sites as well. Wrath. Like, those bots should be up where they are because they're constantly performing. They always have success and they're just up there. But, like, there's other bots that will, you hear of no success and they're three grand, four grand. And I don't understand why they're so expensive if people aren't really, like, hitting that much. It seems basically whenever a bot comes out of beta, like in today's age, there are the bots automatically like two thousand, three thousand dollars. Like it, there's no room for them to just keep going up. Like they should start low, like basically at retail, and then like once they've had years of success, like that's when prices just start rising. I feel like people are just inflating the prices, and that can also go off some of like bot calls too. Like you'll see people raise the price of a bot a thousand dollars in a week just because of they think some updates coming and then the update never happens and the bot still doesn't perform well but they raise the price a thousand dollars for no reason yeah i definitely agree with you there i mean it's a market that's not regulated so you know i think it comes down to your personal opinion my personal opinion i don't really see any problem with it i mean the developers are still making their money and we've seen a gradual i could say cultural fit, a shift or community shift towards consumers and repeatable people willing to pay more for these bots and that is something that could be a way to combat such high resale values we've seen bots like dragon charge like 1k retail i think and there's bots are just slowly moving towards charging more for retail and that's also something that i want to speak about like 
What is your opinion on that? Because obviously, I think the ideology is to basically close the gap between the aftermarket and how much money the company rakes in. Are you in favor of that? Or do you just don't like the idea of people hype inflating these bot prices? Well, I mean, I I agree when bots like put in monthly fees or if their retails are higher, they raise their fees. Because like what people don't realize, like uh, Dashy was one of the bots that took so much heat for this. Because Hunter originally only sold lifetimes. Same with Eve. They only sold lifetimes. And just recently, they switched to renewals. And people went crazy over it. Because they're like, why should I have to pay renewal? I bought a lifetime buy. I should get lifetime updates. But people don't realize like how much developers spend of their own time and money to like keep these bots up to par and make sure they're working to the best of their abilities. Like, If, if you're going to have a bot, especially like, like a Dashy that's been around for a little bit, and all he did was sell lifetimes back then. He probably used all that money already, putting it back into the bot and doing stuff like that. And now all the hard work he's doing now, especially since he has to update for every single drop, basically because the protection has changed and stuff like that. I think they should be getting money on a monthly basis as like a way to keep their bots going and stuff like that. So I have no problem with like bots charging higher retails or charging monthly uh, like payments, monthly reoccurring payments. Um, I do think though that it does like factor into the whole resale thing because if a bot's retailing at two hundred bucks and it's reselling for six k or three hundred dollars, like Cyber, the problem is people if they buy the bot for resale, they pay that six grand. They want six thousand dollars worth of a bot, and if let's say the bot flops, which happens all it, it happens, it stuff happens, the bot flops. Person who spent six k on that bot is gonna be super upset because they invested six thousand dollars into a bot and they want six thousand dollars worth of product. When in reality, like they should technically only be getting the three hundred dollars worth of product because that's what the bot retails at. And it also goes into like how it encourages some like developers to like backdoor, like if because if they're not charging a lot of like monthly fees, they might start backdooring their bot to make the money. Like, I know everyone, like, always bags on Wrath because he doesn't backdoor any single copy and his, his bot's at $7,000. But that's why he introduced a monthly payment because, you know, he needs to make his money still for all the hard work he's doing while not backdooring the bot and going against that, like, code of ethics and keeping the bot small, community small and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, Wokebot used that exact same reasoning. They said that, I think it's in their frequently asked questions, or I think it was when I literally uh, interviewed Sneaky, or alias, one of the two. They used this reasoning where, essentially, if a consumer goes onto the aftermarket and spends like 6000 or $3,000, like you said, they're expecting that type of value. Like, if you, I don't know, buy a car for $10,000, and okay that is probably a bad example let me just like let me <laughs> let me give a different example here what we're, what i'm trying to put across is that if the consumer is paying x amount they expect x amount of value so if the bot retails for like 300 dollars and they charge and they bought it for six rocks then obviously the company is putting forward a product worth 300 dollars obviously sometimes it does exceed it but in the company's mind they're fulfilling that $300 value. So obviously the aftermarket being at the stage it is right now, you know, you have a lot of people, I've heard of people getting loans from their parents, buying these bots and they're promising that through their reselling career, they'll pay it back with, even with interest. Like it is a very dangerous game. And I think the people that, honestly, I think your safest bet at the moment 
is probably trying to get uh, then again i was gonna say trying to get it from these bot releases like art retail but then again like it's insanely hard now because you've yeah. got a bunch of tools and stuff so it's i don't know i don't know what i'd tell a person if someone came to me and said what should i do i don't know what i'd say to them to be honest like what would you say uh, well usually like if someone's trying to get into botting i usually recommend like usually i recommend nsb off the start because most of the time, even if you can't get a code, which most of the time they will give out codes, um, you pay $500. Yeah, $500 is a lot of money to some people, but it's a very small investment in the terms of like sneaker botting. And the bot works on basically any site that like works on Supreme, Adidas, Yeezy, you supply, Shopify, foot sites. Like it has, it has everything, say, all in one. And for the $500 with that bot, and it's always in stock, it's easy to get, easy to get people's hands on, like they can get their hands on it. I think that's a great starter bot instead of telling someone to like hop in and buy cyber. Because if they come in and buy cyber, they have 6K invested. Let's say they, they can't hit. They don't do anything. They don't know what they're doing. Then they have 6K invested in some bot and they have to sell it and then they'll lose fees and stuff like that. This way, when they come in like beginners, they only have 500 invested initially. They're not putting forth like a bunch of money so i don't know i think it's better to start them like start lower and work your way up yeah definitely nsb does trump that type of stigma i've done a lot of work with them in the past and you know i spoke to the team and i spoke uh, and i obviously pay attention to public opinions and i think the nsb i can personally vouch that is like the one of the only companies that reside within the always in stock sector that do uphold that value like it's a very very solid bot like i know people that run cyber raf and those type of bots and still run nsb because it's a very very solid alternative and if you copy it with a coupon code 350 dollars now given 350 dollars itself as that value does have different opinions uh, depending on your income like some people like to us i'd say 350 isn't too much of an expense if we are thinking about it long term and we'll make money from shoes but obviously to our regular consumer 350 is pretty substantial so i feel like when you do get into the botting scene you are going to have to adjust your type of mindset and obviously be willing to invest to get money out at the end but shifting back to the episode here i did want to ask you so you got into buying through nmb amb and you had someone to help you there you cost you for 80 dollars how did you actually join the sneaker twitter community botting community that resides on twitter on discord uh well since i had like amb i had joined their discord because i got through it's so like it, when i bought off him it didn't come with his discord because he had used it already but i somehow got through and emailed like a and B through their support and they like gave me a discord invite so i got in their discord and i was just in there like being a noob you know typical a and b noob and uh i had someone in the in the chat like message me and say like hey like are you trying to join a cook group and like at the time i was like i don't really know what a cook group is like but i mean if it'll help me botting and help me like get better things and like yeah sure i'll give it a try and like so i i took his offer and joined this cook group and sadly you know the cook group disbanded like a year ago ish but that was like my first group i joined that it was in there for about a year year and a half ish and while i was in there like i created a, a sneaker twitter like a burner twitter i guess you could call it to use for like shoes and success posts and giveaways and stuff like that so i didn't have to just like post it on my main to all like my local friends and stuff like that i wanted to have just like a separate one you know like people make like gaming twitters and stuff like that so that was how i joined like the 
the sneaker Twitter community and stuff like that. Because I had made that Twitter to use for like success and stuff like that. And I would just post on there, shout the group out, shout the proxies out and stuff like that. And kind of just went from there. Right. So obviously you made that account to segregate your personal life and this life. And, you know, a lot of people do do that. I did that personally and it worked pretty well. Obviously, um, I don't even use my personal Twitter account anymore. I can't just use this. But at the time, it is a very good idea because you don't want to mix up things. You don't want to bring up questions with people. They ask questions, they find it weird. So it's probably a better idea to do that. But um, obviously, you do have a large following and it's going to lead into some of the questions I'm going to ask. But when you created this burner Twitter on, uh, on Sneaker Twitter to post success and obviously answer giveaways and stuff like that, when did you first ever see a spark of popularity? Did it come from interacting with someone? Did someone pay attention to someone you did? Or how did that come about? Uh, well, it was actually just, well, the account was just basically like I had followings from people from like the group. Because when I was in the group, it was just like a sort of like a close-knit community. It's like people would follow each other and stuff like that. So I didn't really have like a big following at all until basically recently, like these past probably five months maybe. Before then, I had around like two or 300 followers, which I mean, it's a lot for some people, but not a lot for others. I don't know, I just would have people follow me. I think part of it would go into like success posts too. Like a lot of people don't post success, but what people don't realize is like when you post those, you have huge companies who have 30, 40, 50,000 followers that are retweeting them and they have accounts that follow them who are people that look up to people in botting and they want to get into botting. So those people like start to follow you and stuff like that. And that's how you can gain followers from like success tweets and stuff like that. And I guess kind of just the success just kind of went from there and we gained a lot of following. Yeah, I mean, I uh, clicked onto you and you made a YouTube channel and that's something I, we are going to get into because um, obviously I do the bot talk. I don't do too much YouTube content now. I'm planning on changing that. However, I do always scope out new people that are coming up and uh, I I think... The way I, the way I saw your content was the exact same way I saw Lucky Bot's content. And essentially, it was exactly how you said, one of these big companies retweeted your video. Now, essentially, back when all these YouTubers started, what they were doing is it, I don't know if you did this, but I know a lot of people did. They basically put their success post, but also put the YouTube link in the actual success post. Now, that's what I used to do. So when I used to do cop on Sol and cop on Adept, that's what I used to do to push traffic towards the video. Because like you said, if someone's looking up to these bots, they don't have the bot to see the success and then they see a video, they want to see how the bot performs so they click on the video. It's a very good way to get views that way. And I'm pretty sure I saw your video on the timeline by someone retweeting it and that's kind of how it started. But I did want to dig back to the root idea of YouTube and I wanted to ask you, what made you want to start a YouTube channel? Well, like, I don't know. You know how always, when you're a kid, you always dream of becoming, like, a YouTuber or something like that? That Well, that kind of, like, fueled it. And, like, as I said earlier, like, I was a gamer. Like, I I gamed. I did stuff like that. So, like, I always would make, like, gaming videos, which, you know, would never get views and stuff like that. Because that's just typically how YouTube is. You never, you never get exposure at all. So, like, once I actually became, like, I guess, good at botting, and I had finally, like, gotten my first, like, top tier bot which was cyber which i got in the beginning beginning end of 2019 early 2020 i hit on that mobile restock so i i finally had like a top tier bot which i thought would help me like with my success and stuff like that and i actually started to like 
hit a lot of like shoes and hit clips and stuff. And it was around March. I was saying to myself, like right about when lockdown started for the whole pandemic and stuff like that. I was like, well, I'm going to be sitting inside a lot doing nothing. So like might as well just do it for fun. Like I'll just record my videos and my live cops and just quickly edit them and just post them and see what it goes. Cause like before then I had been watching, like cause I always watch a lot of YouTube and I'd stumbled across Nova. Like when I started like the scene and sneaker Twitter and stuff like that. And I watched literally every single one of his live cops that he would post. I watched all of his like tutorials and stuff like that. So he was like a big person I looked up to in terms of like being a sneaker botter, like YouTuber. And I just, I thought it was like super cool to like see how, how much he had grown from it. And I was like, you know, I'm going to take a shot. Like, I'm going to see if I can get it going. So I posted like, I don't remember what my first video was. I think it was like a live cop on Supreme. I think it was like the spring, summer week. It was like week two or something. I don't remember what drop it was, but I posted that. And like within a week I had like five or 600 views. And I was like, there's no way I have this many views. Like I, I, I'm a nobody. I have 30 subs or 20 subs, and how do I have this many views? So then I was like, hmm, maybe people like actually enjoy this type of stuff. So then I posted another video, and then I got like seven, eight hundred views. And I was like, like holy cow! Like people are actually watching my videos. Like I don't know how am I getting this exposure. And then I think it was like two weeks after that first video I posted, like hit 1,000 views. And like I, I thought that was crazy. Like that, I had a thousand views on YouTube, because you know, like you know, you usually post videos, you get twenty, thirty views if you have no following. And it was very quick that like I hit a hundred subs, and then two fifty, three hundred, and it just started growing like a lot. And then it's to where I am today, where I have almost three k subs and over one hundred and thirty k views on my channel. Like I don't know, I just think it's kind of crazy, like how fast it's happened. Because, I, I mean, I started it back in March with the, the hopes that, like, I would, you know, break off someday and become some big, huge YouTuber. But, you know, I never actually thought it would happen. I was just like that that little idea in the back of my head. But I guess it I guess it's taken off pretty well. And I can thank everyone who's helped me on the way. Like, all the support and stuff's been amazing. I never thought that I would have 3K subs in October of 2020. Because when I hit, when I did my first giveaway on Twitter, when I hit 300 subs, which was, what was that, Ben? Probably, it was right around May, May, June. Like, it was, like, around the Flint Flint uh, 13 drop. I uh, I thought to myself, I was like, oh, I wonder if, like, I'll be able to hit 1,000 subs by the end of the year. And then, like, a month later, I hit 1,000 subs. And I was just, it's kind of crazy, but... <laughs> I think one of the most interesting parts of that whole answer was that you obviously came from the gaming community and I personally did that as well. Like I was streaming back in, I think it was like 2016, 2017. I was streaming like Black Ops 3 Zombies. I was like pretty, pretty much streaming every single day on YouTube. And by the end of it, I got like 3K subs. And that's after like two years of consistent streaming and creating content. So I think one of the main things that people don't understand within this community that like gaining getting 500 views on your first ever video on youtube that it, that doesn't happen like it, in no other community out there does that happen like it's the view counts and the way this people subscribe to you in this community is the most abnormal thing i've ever seen like when i started i was um this was back in 2018 i was like i was seeing the views build up but in a much slower rate compared to now because you know youtube yeah. wasn't 
too accepted back then in this community. But like, once the views came in, like, I was just sat there like, you know, why was I doing zombies for two years? I should have just done this. Like, it's so much easier to get traction in this community compared to others. That isn't to say it isn't justified, but I feel like there is a very, very good market for people to consume content here. Because I even like, if you think about it on a base level, like, obviously people come to your channel for your personality. That's what I'd like to think. If you actually think about the base content, you're literally just watching an application with statuses changing on some tasks like isn't yeah isn't as entertaining as like you playing black ops 3 zombies and you're playing keen of the tone and you got like round 100 like it isn't it isn't as entertaining as that arguably but for some reason people consume it more and it's always like really really interesting me yeah well going off that too like i think the botting scene and botting youtube has it's it's its own niche like you have to be a sneaker botter or someone in shoes to like understand it and like it as compared to like you said with gaming how you you make gaming videos you never get views but i think that plays into the aspect of like you have all of these professional gamers like you have team optic you have envious you have all these professional i guess athletes you would call them maybe professional gamers like that are making youtube videos people would rather watch them because they're professionals and stuff like that. Like, we don't have that in our community. Like, we don't have professional botters or people who are, you know, on Sports Center and stuff like that botting shoes. It just doesn't happen. So I think people are more likely to click on random people's videos to see other people's content because there's really no, like, go-to person, like, professional world besides, like, Nova now and stuff like that and, like, E-Man. But there's really no go-to like professional person to go to there's people just go around and click on videos like definitely yeah i mean to add into that point i mean even with the most successful people in this community if they dropped videos like i'd still say a person that cooks two box logos on a drop could still pull in views and it's interesting i like i don't think the market for youtube is ever going to get too populated just because of the fact that this community really likes to consume for some reason i don't know why but i'm not complaining it obviously helps all of us but um it's definitely interesting and i've overviewed the entire thing like during the entire tr- transition looking back i should have made more videos during this entire thing but um it's definitely refreshing to see new content, new faces like yourself, like Eman. Obviously, you have Lucky Bar coming up now, and uh, like I, I'm sure, like three, four months from now, there'll be someone else we're talking about, and someone else would have uh, thousands of subscribers, thousands of views, like yourself. It's always going to be very interesting because people really craft their channels around their personality, and that's kind of what can. Consi- creeps consistent views and that works across a bunch of communities and that is some something i did want to speak about if you look at the um the sneaker botting twitter community as a whole it's very anonymous in in a way you see obviously the reputable people at the top let's let's take three people here let's take curtie michael and uh connor from express so like obviously you you know what they look like you know their real names and they're, they're out there they're public so we know that. But there's a ton of people in this community that hide behind uh, a username, don't really say their first name, don't show pictures of themselves. So I feel like there is a divide between people that are completely out there, like yourself. I'd say you're completely out there. You show your face, obviously everything like that. And there's people out there that have like, uh, obviously a certain avatar with a random username. 
I'd, the one thing I did want to pick into, what made you be so public with yourself? Was it something you didn't really think about or was it something you put some thought into? Well, this is actually like a, a very funny like thing to get into because I'm not the type of person to be like out there and like just outgoing. I'm more of like a shy person. Like in school, I'd be the kid that'd sit in the back of the classroom, like just sit there, not answer questions and just do my own thing. Like I tried never to be the kid that was called on or would never answer questions like publicly. And I just didn't never want like the center of attention. And I was just personally me, but putting myself out there, I think I had to do from, from making gaming content. Cause I started when Fortnite like became a big thing. I uh, started a Twitch stream and I was streaming with that with a webcam and stuff like that. And I was pulling viewers and I had, I hit Twitch affiliate status like very quickly and people were like, would come in my chat and literally laugh like so hard because of like the reactions I would do and stuff like that. So like I could tell people could like, we're liking my personality and stuff like that. So I didn't mind like putting it out there. You know, you get, you always get the hate and stuff like that. Especially, you know, cause I'm fat. People always come at you and be like, Oh, you're fat. Like, thanks buddy. Like I knew that you didn't need to tell me that. But, uh, I think it has to do, especially with our community in terms of sneakers, like people hide behind things because of our, our community is to say the least very toxic for the most part. There's, there's very few people that are like just genuinely like nice to everybody. You usually have people who are toxic or they're, they'll come at people. And I think people don't want to show their faces and put themselves out there because they're afraid that people are like going to expose their flaws and do stuff like that. What do you mean? Sad world we live in. People do that. But like, that's where I came in. Like I, I don't care if people make fun of me. Like, if you're going to call me fat, cool. You're calling me fat. Like, I don't really care. Like, I know I'm fat. You don't need to tell me stuff like that. I I, don't know, I like, the whole reason I put myself out there was, I don't know, just to, to make people happy. Because, you know, you never know who is scrolling through your Twitter and what they're going through. Like, when I started making these rant videos, those blew up because people said they would just start laughing hysterically and they couldn't stop laughing. Like, doing stuff like that, making myself look like a clown and a goofball, like, doesn't bother me at all because as long as I know, like, there's someone out there who, like, I guess cheers their day up and makes their day better, then that's that's all that matters because you never know, like, what people are going through in their daily lives, like, the stresses of everything, school, work, stuff like that. People just, people go through stuff and that little smile and laugh they have literally could cheer, like, their whole day up. So, like, if I can do that and put myself out there, like, I can take the heat for people making fun of me because of my weight and stuff like that or my appearance because, I don't know, I just rather make people happy. I don't know, it's just how I am. I always like to make sure people are okay and they're they're good. Yeah, I mean, it's a commendable thing because, obviously, this community, like you said, is very toxic. And to be honest, I don't think it'll ever sway away from that just because the community is very centered around money. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's obviously, it comes with its trade-offs. And we always see it straight off. It's a very toxic community. However, there is some positivity in there. And I feel like obviously you belong to that. These rant videos, which is something I didn't want to get into as well. Uh, they blow up just because of the fact that it's, it's like a positive thing. Obviously, regardless if you perform in a drop or you don't. I've seen uh, some of your rant videos where you like literally hit nothing. Like you were pretty unsuccessful. <laughs> but it was still pretty funny. There's people in a, a reply crying over it. And it's, it is funny. And it is something that people love like we've seen pe I, I know of people in the past that have done these types of videos on twitter and they always do well because of the fact that if you know the person's personality and you see how they're expressing themselves to the camera 
obviously it is a positive thing and like you said it could uplift someone's day so i feel like um every time you put those out there they do numbers and obviously people really like them and they obviously uh people want you to keep pushing them out but we spoke about some aspects of people's personal life there but i just wanted to flip that around and talk about your personal life obviously when um you first blow up on youtube i'll say from my perspective perspective sorry when i first blew up quotation marks on youtube um obviously i started investing more time into the bot talk i got into marketing how can i market these videos how can i spend more time in these videos and you know i spent money on microphone and stuff like that obviously my personal life got impacted because of that because i had to start thinking differently to create longevity but when you blew up on youtube and you got this twitter following and uh, obviously you were in contact with these big companies in the community how did that impact your personal life well th- this part is the crazy part because uh, like i can't say i ever had to struggle in life like my my parents are well off and i haven't really had to ever struggle for anything and stuff like that so like in terms of making like the money from reselling and stuff like that it, like, it's affected my personal life in the fact that like i was able to buy like designer shoes and i could buy all these shoes now because like my parents wouldn't spend money on stuff like that because they just thought it was dumb like they would never spend they wouldn't they would if i asked for a 600 dollars pair of gucci shoes they would slap me in the face and be like what are you doing why would you spend that money on those like you should use that money for something else that you know will hold its value better and stuff like that so i guess like reselling impact my life because i was able to like buy designer clothes i remember i bought like my first pair of gucci shoes and stuff like that like my mom was so mad but uh it allowed me to like resell and make money and all like this past year especially since like may on it's impacted my life like greatly because i consider some of the people i've met like lifelong friends especially like some of the partnerships i've done with like michael george and nova from from notify i consider all three of them like very close friends of mine now i've i talk to all of them literally daily which in my mind is insane because i never thought i'd ever talk to nova in my life because he was just so far ahead of everybody but like i consider michael and george like some really good friends as well and that's just coming stemming off from like the sponsorship when notify sponsored me and then um another one would be mason from pulse notify because i consider him like a great friend and stuff like that like when when i've been in pulse for a year and a half ish and i never really like would talk with owners and stuff like that i just kind of lay low and stuff but once I started, like, putting myself out there and stuff, like, he started talking to me more and stuff like that. So I I, don't know, I would consider, like, all three of them, or all four of them, actually, like, lifelong friends now. Like, I have most of their phone numbers and stuff like that. And I talk to them on a daily basis. So I'd say that's impacting my personal life because, you know, I'm making some new friends doing this stuff, which is kind of cool. Even though they're internet-based friends, you know, I hope I can meet them all one day and we can go get, like, some dinner or something like that because yeah definitely i don't know i think that would be super cool to just meet everybody like that so that's one of the ways like it's definitely like impacted my personal life like getting friends but in terms of like i guess the negative impacts would be like you know you have to put a lot of time into things during i mean right now i didn't really have to worry about it because of all lockdown and stuff like that but being like a college student with all my friends that go to the same college as me like they'd always want to party friday saturday nights and like i would just never go like, I wouldn't be there. I'd be, like, at home setting my bots up and stuff like that. So, I guess it it affected that in that sense because, like, I never really experienced, like, the whole college experience thing. But that's not really, like, a big deal because I'd rather be, like, making the money and stuff like that because that's what I enjoy to do. But, I don't know. I, 
overall it's been it's been a very very good thing in my life and i'm very thankful for it yeah i mean it goes back to the idea that i discussed with some guests on the show with the idea of being a trade-off obviously there's positives and negatives and um i feel like if you can just balance that which it seems like you're doing perfectly at the moment um you are going to focus on the positives and just kind of brush off the negatives like obviously parties really nice to go to obviously you have a very good time with your friends but then you've kind of not substituted but obviously with the positives you've came and you've discovered more friends and you've uh, created a way to create disposable income so you can go and spend money on these types of shoes like um obviously you said with your parents they're well off but they wouldn't give you this money to go spend on uh designer clothes designer sneakers but if you're creating that disposable income for yourself if you evaluate it correctly then you can go ahead and buy it yourself and it is a very good feeling i've experienced it with myself as well where um you get to a point where like you just don't need to rely on your parents for financial income and that's it's pretty nice because you can literally just take things into your own hands and if you need to invest in something where your parents can't really help you out you can just literally just go and do it it is a very very comfortable feeling for sure yeah look we're going off the whole thing too like Obviously, before I had like a job and stuff like that, I would depend on my parents for money. And then when I like I got my first job, I was using all that money to like buy things I wanted. And then when I started to resell, um, all the money that I'd made from reselling, like I would, that's what I would use to buy like my shoes and stuff like that. Like my mom would never give me money to buy a pair of Yeezys or something like that. Or when I bought my Off-White Chicago's, like she would have she would have slapped me if I told her I spent like three thousand dollars on a pair of shoes. Like she would have literally slapped. Me. And like I guess the money in reselling from that, even though it's it's not like a lot, I don't make that much money from reselling, but it's the the extra income allows you to be able to like I guess enjoy it more. You can you can use that money and not have to like worry about stuff like that. And I don't have to ever ask my parents for for money to do things or to to buy a shoe or buy a bot. Like I buy it all myself. I'm not gonna have them pay for something like that. So I guess it's allowed me to like grow as an adult as well as someone who like just turned 21 which most people are in Singapore they're usually younger it's a great opportunity for people to like get a sense of the real world and how business works and how stuff like that works and how to like manage money do expenses and stuff like that before you know you actually get shoved into the real world and like going off of that my 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 parents definitely are like surprised at like what i've done they like because at first when i told my mom i was doing this stuff like she's like i hope you're making the right decision like hope you're not losing money i hope you know what you're doing because if you lose money that's gonna be stupid yada 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 but i think i've been able to like prove to them now that like i know what i'm doing i've been with like be successful with it so it also like built a better connection with my parents i guess because they're like more proud of me even though they they were proud of me before but like they're just wild, like wow like you were able to like do start your own business and start this and stuff like that like that's pretty cool while like going to college while working and stuff like that so yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah definitely i mean a lot of people can uh, relate to that final point where um their parents don't really believe in the idea and to be honest like if i was a parent my kid my kid came up to me and said yo i'm flipping x y and z and i get my money back with a hundred dollars on top i'd be skeptical because like you know this money's disappearing into the internet you're getting shoes that you're meant to wear and then you're making money from it. it is kind of sketchy the idea of it but once they just develop an understanding of the aftermarket you kind of explain uh, the whole ideology behind it yeah pr- pride must definitely come into it i mean obviously every parent should be proud of their kids but if you have a kid who is doing their academia 
they're running a business, they're making money, they don't rely on you for money. It is definitely something to pay attention to. And obviously, a lot of opportunities can open up with that. But guys, I think that's going to go ahead and conclude today's episode. It was a banger episode. I really enjoyed it. If you guys want to check out Burger Kicks' social medias, will be down below. And as advertised, we do have a special event from Burger Kicks sponsor, Notify. Now, essentially, after this clip, how this is going to go ahead and work is that it's going to cut to a clip of me explaining how this event is going to take place. Then an event countdown is going to pop up on the screen. After that countdown takes place, the special event will take place. Good luck, guys. So essentially how this special event is going to work, it's going to work very simply, so please pay attention to this so you can go into the event and know exactly what to do. So after this clip, an event countdown is going to pop up, then the event's going to take place. When the event actually takes place, what's going to happen is a link is going to appear on the screen. That link, once you paste it into Google, will go ahead and take you to the Notify restock. Good luck, guys.